Hello, this is Tim Conboy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. We're going to be picking it up in Acts 14, and we're going to pick it up verse 21. For those that may just be joining us, uh, Paul and Barnabas are on a missionary journey. We're on a mission. And the Holy Spirit is leading them throughout the region. And uh, in Iconium, or excuse me, in Lystra, they didn't like what Paul was saying. And so they literally decided to pummel him with stones. And they stoned him to death. And they thought they had killed him, may have killed him. They literally grabbed hold of him, dragged him out of the city, and dropped him off. And all the disciples gathered around him. And while the disciples gathered around him, we assume praying. They didn't say in the text. But all of a sudden, Paul just jumps back up. Can you imagine getting pummeled with stones so much that they think you're dead? And they drag you out? He jumps back up, obviously under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he makes an amazing decision. Instead of saying, well, it's a good time to get out of here and head to Derby. He says, you know what? It's getting late, boys. Let's go back to Lystra. We'll stay the night, and then we'll leave for Derby the next day. And so fearlessly, he goes back into town and stays the night, almost as if nothing happened. I'd be like, can you imagine if you were in town, you were one of the guys that picked up the rock to have him stoned, and he comes just sauntering back in? You're like, there's one tough guy, right? But he's got a tough God. Kept him going. So now they leave for Derby, and verse 21 says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must, through many tribulations, literally trials, difficulties, enter the kingdom of God. Let's pause for a moment there. I will not expound further on it later. This is what he's not saying. He is not saying that you enter the kingdom of God through suffering. Some people translate that to mean, well, the more you suffer, the better your chances are to get the kingdom of God. As if God's like, oh, you poor guy, you suffered so much. Come on in. And people actually take whips and will flail themselves uh, with whips. Others will climb mountains on their knees. And some even will be crucified. Because they believe that through suffering comes salvation. Listen, through suffering, does, salvation does not come through suffering. Salvation comes through a Savior who suffered for us. Amen? And don't also misinterpret this to think that God is putting suffering in your path. God does not cause His children to suffer any more than you would want your children to suffer. But the enemy always puts suffering on the path of the saints, of the believers. As you are heading to the kingdom of God, and if you're a believer, that's where we're heading, right? That's where we're going. On that path, you will encounter suffering. As a matter of fact, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This isn't God doing that to us. It's always the enemy, because he doesn't like the path we're on, he doesn't like the job we're doing, he doesn't like the direction we're going, and he certainly doesn't like the message we're sharing. So don't misinterpret verse 22, thinking that he's saying, hey, let me encourage you. You know, we all got to suffer, because that's part of being saved. No, it's not. 
It doesn't bring salvation. Salvation is through a Savior. But you will, all of us, have difficult times. Good enough? Okay. Amen. And a woman. Okay. Verse 23. So, when they had appointed elders in every church. Uh Uh-oh. Pause for a second. Is elders singular or plural? Plural. Good. Church singular or plural? Singular. Well, it's every church. It's multiple churches. But the interesting thing is they didn't appoint an elder in all the churches. They appointed elders in each and every church. You follow? So that's that's important to understand. Say, oh, well, this is where plurality of elders come from. And I know some object to it. It's interesting. Some that never held to that governance uh, later have turned to say, you know, boy, you know, it really is in there. And here's another case in point. But it, it says it almost in, just in passing. They appointed elders, plural, in every single church. And prayer and fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. To commend means to let out of your hand, put into someone else's hand for their use. So they turned them over to the Lord. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached in the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. Doesn't that do a lot for you? Like, okay, Perga, Pamphylia, Attilia, I'll show you all that stuff. I know you're dying to find out. Lastly, verse 26. From there they sailed to Antioch. This is the eastern Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. In other words, finished job. They got back to the starting line. That's why I call it heading home. That's what this whole text is going to start, heading home. Father, hide me behind a cross. Fill me by your Spirit. And Lord, just speak to us. Help us. Help us to grow and learn about the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, change us. I'm not just saying things that say words when I encourage and and confirm these men that are out, these young men that are out in the house of God. Lord, if that blesses my heart, I can imagine what it does to your heart. And these others, all the folks that are here, these young people, the music they put together and the worship from the heart that they put together. Lord, I just bless you. I thank you for the leadership. I thank you for the music ministry. I thank you for all those that are involved in serving you and helping you and blessing you. I pray this word will speak to me and speak to each of us. I also pray it will speak to those who have not been saved yet. Maybe in this room, maybe watching over the internet. Father, speak to those who have not yet been saved. They will be Lord, I'm believing that, and I'm just asking you to speak to them and draw them to the gospel. We love you, Lord, in the holy name of Jesus, we all say, Amen, and Amen, Amen. Heading home. As I mentioned, the end of verse 26, it says that they had returned to Antioch, uh, to the church, the place where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had completed. Paul and Barnabas, remember, we're only two chapters away. At the beginning of 13, uh, the Holy Spirit says, Separate for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I call them. i got a job for them to do. Separate them out. And this was not the beginning of missions, as we like to think of it, but it was a continuation of the mission. And the mission was to spread the gospel. And so Paul and Barnabas, as you know, they left from Antioch, and they traveled down to the island of Cyprus, so you know, 
Salamis. They went to Salamis, the city of salt, and then over uh, to Paphos. And then they went, took a ship due north, and they landed there in Perga. You remember what happened in Perga? Yeah. John Mark, remember that guy? He got wet feet. He got, you know, homesick. Something happened when he got to Perga. And he says, you know what? I'm out of here. Remember that? And he left. Literally, it says he deserted them and went back to Mama in Jerusalem. That's how it loosely translates. And then you'll see him later on in Antioch here pretty soon. But for this time, uh, they, they now lose John Mark and they went 110 miles north. Remember that? We went through a whole aerial uh, terrain and saw how they traveled up through there and went to Antioch. Uh, they went in the synagogue. Someone said, hey guys, you got any good word to say? Remember then they preached the gospel in the synagogue. Many people got saved. It started spreading out of the synagogue. Others got saved. And then when the prominent men and women started getting saved, the Jews that didn't like it ended up chasing them out of Antioch. Then they went down into Iconium, which meant, remember, icon, little image. And there in Iconium, they were named... Little image, uh, not after the image of God, but after the image of Perseus. Remember their Greek god that they believed lobbed off the head of Medusa and took her head around and slayed all the current population in order to produce his own cities there. And uh, in case you're wondering, that is mythology. It didn't really happen. Medusa, there never was a chick with snakes in her hair, you know. He never did that. But to them, it was as good as real. To them, it was like, man, this is what happened. But they go, hear the apostles go in there and they tell them the truth about Jesus Christ that came, not to slay people, but to save people. Here, he's here not as a slayer, but as a savior. Well, next thing you know, they get chased out of Iconium into Lystra. There in Lystra, they said, wow, this is something. This crippled man gets healed and he's standing up. This guy, Barnabas, must be Zeus, and, and this guy, Paul, must be Hermes, the messenger of the God. Remember that? And, and, you know, they thought they were gods. And then they went down, and they said, whoa, wait a minute. We're not gods. That's always a great revelation for all of us to come to, isn't it? <laughs> we are not God. We are not the Holy Spirit. We are mere men made of clay, men and women, who have the breath of life in us from God. Amen? Yes. But they say, hey, we're not God. They say, okay, well, might as well stone you to death. Fickle crowds. So they do, and then they drag them out. By the way, this is all Tim Reader's Digest condensed version of what happened. Left them for dead. They get up, spend the night, then they head to the derby. And so when they get done preaching Derby, they came to the position where they said, you know what? Our job's done. And they head back home. Now, in, if we were to zoom in closer, we see here Derby's to the far right. And that whole region's Pamphylia. You see where they went up to back to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, and then down to Perga, Attila, where they picked up the uh, ship and then they set back sail. But if you were to go from Derby and go to the immediate right, you see the curve there in the Mediterranean Sea? Right there at that beach is the city of Tarsus. You know Paul from Tarsus. That's his hometown. It's just right over the hill there. That's where he lived. 
They easily could have just gone over the hill, stopped by Paul's house, seen his friends and relatives, crossed the flat delta area, up and over that hill, and they're in Antioch. I mean, it was easy walk. Instead, they double back and go all the way back through these towns. And then they had to take a ship and then sail back to Antioch. And we're going to see how all this happened and why it happened. But the point is, they said they had completed the work that they were sent to do. You know, the Lord Jesus says the same thing. In John chapter 17, he is praying for the disciples. In John 17 and in verse 4, and in what they call the high priestly prayer, Jesus says this, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I had a job to do. That's why I'm here. By the way, you and I have jobs to do. That's why he put us on this ball. He put us here on earth because we have a job to do. He says, I finished the job that you put me here to do. And now, O oh Father, he says, glorify, <clears throat> excuse me, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world, be, world was. I have manifested, it means to make known or to reveal. I have manifested, I have revealed your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept, <clears throat> excuse me, your word. Now it's interesting things when Jesus speaks about finishing, <coughs> excuse me, I know. When he speaks about finishing his work, first thing he mentioned was his motive, why he was doing it. He said, I did it to glorify the Father. Everything I did was for the Father's glory. Now, it doesn't make God brighter. The word means to shine. But it shines a light on God. He goes, my motive was for God. My method was to explain your word and manifest your name uh, to these men here that are before me and the others in Judea. But his mission... If you were to boil down and distill his mission to one salient point, it would be in Luke chapter 10, or excuse me, not chapter 19, verse 10, where he says this. This is why, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. If you were to say, Jesus, why are you here? Because I'm seeking people and I'm saving people. I'm looking for lost people, and when I find a lost person, I'll save that lost person. Now, for those that say, ooh, boy, glad I'm not lost. Jesus said, those who are sick need a doctor, but those who don't think they're sick, they don't need a doctor. I'm here to reach the sick ones. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if you realize it, but we are all sick apart from Christ. Right? Don't, don't make me come down here. I can list them if you need me to. We all have our difficulty. I'm not talking just <coughs> sick. We all have our problems. We all have our issues. Jesus says, I came down for people who struggle, people that have problems, people that are broken, people that are lost, uh, people that need a physician. I am here for them. This is my mission. It is why the Father sent me. He loves us. He loves you. And He says, I'm going to send Jesus down to reach you. And my motive is to glorify the Father, and my method is to reveal the Father to you and reveal His Word. 
So you see, that's the whole point of Jesus coming. His priority is the Father's priority. And what was the Father's priority? People. The Father's priority is people. To seek them out and to save all who will believe. His priority is to go after people. Is to find people. People like you. People like me. People who say, yes, I am lost. Yes, I don't know how to get there. Yes, I've tried my good works to get me to heaven, but it doesn't work because I keep messing up. The Lord says, well, if that's you, then I'm here for it. That's the great part about the gospel. The great part about the gospel is all you have to do to be saved is to know you're lost. Always a good starting point, right? And to know that He is here to find us. He is here to save us. He is here to deliver us. You see, when I look at this text, I say to Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, why are you even doing all this? Why are you going to these places? Why did you go to Cyprus and, and Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby? Why did you go to all these places? He said, because people are a priority to God, therefore they must be a priority to me. You see, churches across our country have lost their priority. The main thing is no longer the main thing. We get all these other things. Instead of reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ, we've come up with all these other things and all these other programs, and we made those the main thing, and Jesus becomes a secondary thing or the tertiary thing. We forget that Jesus is the main thing, and His priority is people. We may use programs to reach it, but it's for the people. Amen? And if we're not reaching the people, just running a program, we're off base. We need to realize and get it in us that Jesus' priority and His mission did not stop at the cross. It continued after the resurrection. He passed on the mission, was passed on to the disciples, and passed on to you and I today. We are here not for missions. We are here for the mission. Whether you stay local, whether you go abroad, is to complete the mission. And that's one of the first things I noticed with these disciples in verse 21 is their commitment. These guys were committed. It says they were committed to preach the gospel. When they preached the gospel, the good news in that city, and made many disciples. They were committed to preaching the gospel. And I don't want to, I don't want to just say that as some platitude, some, some Christian statement that has no impact. And, you know, sometimes we say things, well, I'll preach the gospel, brother. And, you know, what does that mean? It's lost its punch, it's lost its power. Uh, but these guys, they, they said, you know what, I know what that means. And when we talk about preaching the gospel, uh, they're out there, they're not just out there saying, well, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. There's a lot of roads that lead to heaven. He, he doesn't go out there, why don't we, can't we all just get along and, and give pastors some water? Thanks, Pastor. Wow. How did you know? You know, the funny part is i got a gallon sitting right here. Anyone want some? My wife's home, sick today. Please pray for her. I know. I'm like, oh, honey, you can't be sick. It feels so bad. Keep praying for her. But they said, you know what? We're not here simply to say, hey, I'd like to invite you over to my synagogue. 
We're not here to say, hey, just like all roads lead to Rome, all roads lead to heaven. You know, they said, no, 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 no. It's not a matter of, hey, let's coexist and use all these cool symbols to say it. He said, no, no, no. He said, I'm here to preach the good news. And the good news is there is a God in heaven that loves you. And he loves you like crazy. And he loves you so much that he's willing to let his son come to earth on your behalf. And he's willing to let his son go to a cross, not to pay for his sin and crimes, but your sin and my sin. He loves you enough to go to the cross and die and pay for our sin so that you and I don't have to pay for it. And he rose from the dead to prove that he was who he said he was and is seated in heaven right now. And he says, whosoever will may come and I will save you to the uttermost. Amen. That's our Savior. He goes, man, I'm here to tell you about that. Yeah, you give the Lord a hand. I mean, that's a great thing. And, and Paul Barr says, you know what? I'm committed to that message. Eh, Paul, you know, they did just stone you to death there in Lystra. Yeah, well, a few bumps here and there along the road. I'm committed to that message. I'm not going to turn from it. I'm going to make disciples. By the way, <clears throat> I know you've probably noticed in verse 21 and 22, the word disciple is there in the English. And it is found in both verses in the Greek. But I know you're probably sitting there going, come on, Tim, please tell us what do those words mean? Oh. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah. Wow, did you hear that enthusiasm? Yeah, okay. yeah, sure, sure, sure thing. Okay. Oh. Verse 21. The word disciples, they made many disciples. The word used there, matateo, is the word in the verb form. It means there's an action involved. And it's the act of making a follower. The interesting part is, the focus is not on the follower. It is not on the disciple. The focus of this word is on the one making the disciple. Matateo, the one who is actually doing it. Not on the, on the byproduct, the disciple itself. In verse 22, the word is matates. Matates is, means to the name given to a follower. So we know a name, person, place, or thing, is a noun. So it's interesting, when you look at the one verse, disciples, that is a verb. The next verse, it's a noun. And you say, well, why is that interesting? Because matateo. The verb form, I found, is only found four times in the New Testament. Four times. As a matter of fact, in Matthew, you're going to find three of the four in Matthews. Now, maybe because his name was Mateo, he's like, hey, that Matateo is a really cool word. I'll use it. We know it's inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But... Three times Matthew uses it. He uses it in a Jesus speaking in a parable in chapter 13. And, and he speaks about a scribe. And he uses it in a verb form there. And you, you know verse, or chapter 27, verse 57. Uh, there was a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. You remember Joe? He was the one that took the body of Jesus with Nicodemus. Joe and Nick got the body, asked Pilate. They took the body down and they buried Jesus. And it says... For he was a disciple of Jesus. But interesting, it's matateo. It's not used as a noun. 
It's not giving him this title. It's saying the focus is not on Joseph. The focus is on the one that made him a follower in the text of Jesus Christ. He was listening to Jesus. He was listening to his words. He was listening to his works. And he says, you know what? I believe that. And even though in the text it says, but he did it secretly for fear of the Jews. He was a follower of Jesus Christ in his heart until he reached the point. He says, you know what? I can't be a follower and keep hiding. As a matter of fact, I'm going to come right out in the open and say, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm, I'm going to give him my burial plot and I'm going to take him. So he used it that, that here, Joseph of Arimathea was made a follower by Jesus Christ. It's also used in chapter 28, verse 19, as you know, the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world and what? Make disciples. Matateo. And so, three times he says, he used it in a verb form. And then you don't see it in Mark, Luke, John, and then you don't see it again, you get the book of Acts. By definition of the word Acts, it almost sounds like a verb, right? It's moving, Acts. Isn't it amazing, out of 28 chapters, as we broke it out into chapters, that only one time is it used in a verb form, right smack in the middle, chapter 14. And you know what you read, you're seeing here? This is at the end of the mission trip, is God saying they made many disciples. You know what God's saying? They, these guys did it. They did what I asked them to do. They completed the job. They, they went through this process. God puts the focus right on them. He said, they're doing it. I told them to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. I told them to go and make disciples of all nations. And here they are going out there and they're doing it. They're actually doing it. So God puts the spotlight on the doing right here. And then the next verse he'll talk about those who are disciples by title. And so when I look at this, God points out their commission or their, their commitment. To make disciples. And in order to do it, he says, you know what? We're not going to change. We're not going to change the message. We're not going to change the mission. We're not going to change the motives behind it. And we're certainly not going to change the message. We're going to keep the message the same. And we're going to keep preaching Jesus Christ dying for our sin. And willing to save anyone who puts their faith in him. He said, we're going to keep the message the same. No matter what everyone else thinks about it. We are going to make disciples. You know, it's amazing to me. They kept the main thing, the main thing. Disciple making. And by the way, it's not, as I've said before, it's not to make decisions, it's to make disciples. Through a decision, we become a believer in Jesus Christ. But then we make another decision, am I going to follow him? You see, not every believer is a disciple. You might say, well, I'm, I'm a disciple, I'm a believer. But just being a believer does not make us a disciple. Because a believer is just that, is one who believes. But a disciple is one who not only believes, but is willing to learn and willing to follow. It's one who, who pursues after the mentor, if you will. The interesting part is when it comes to a disciple, it's one who listens and learns, but also watches and walks. There's two components there. There's an academic component, and there's an action component. If you have one without the other, you're going to be out of bounds. There's a lot of churches that have the academics, and they pump our head with knowledge, and we say, I'm making disciples. 
And all it is is knowledge and knowledge and knowledge and knowledge. And we're like the Dead Sea that, that the Jordan River goes into and has an inlet, but has no outlet. That's why it's dead. Nowhere for it to go in all of its salt water. You can float on your back on that salt water. It's a dead sea, 1,500 feet below sea level even. That's how dead it is. Boy, I mean, that's talking about buried. You're down there. But this word here is the idea to listen and learn, but to watch and follow. To watch and walk. It now, take, take the academic and put it. If you have action without knowledge, Scripture speaks of that, right? Zeal without knowledge. Anyone ever have that? Boy, that was me. Yeah, I would blah, 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 and off I'd go, and off I'm doing all this stuff. I had sometimes no idea what I was talking about. The, the Lord said, showed me a verse in Proverbs, even a fool when he shuts his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. If I could only keep him shut. Amen in the back row. They're holding up their signs. You see, Paul and Barnabas, they were committed themselves to being disciples. They said, you know what, we're here to make disciples, but we're here to be a disciple. In order to make a disciple, you have to be willing to commit yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to chase Him. I'm going to make Him a priority. And when I make Jesus my priority, I find out that people are His priority, so I'm going to make people a priority. And I'm going to, I'm going to invest in them, and I'm going to be there for them. And that's what Paul and Barnabas did when they, they preached the gospel. They made disciples. But their commitment was also coupled with compassion. You see, it was their compassion that compelled them to return home. And, and to me, a powerful statement there in verse 21 is not simply that they returned. It wasn't about the fact that they made a decision to go home. But it was about the direction by which they went home. Remember that slide I showed you? They could have jumped over the mountain there, couldn't they? They could have just gone over the hill and said, Wow, man, we're back in Tarsus. Hey, look, that's an easy way home. But let me tell you something. Instead of going the easy way home, they said, You know what? We're going to go back the way we came. They, they, they went back the hard way. They went back the hard direction. They went back the way in spite or despite the effort that was going to be involved. A lot more effort to go back that way. They went back despite the cost that was going to be involved. It's going to cost them a lot more. They don't just get on those ships and ride for free. They went back regardless of the rejection that they received there. I mean, they were rejected. I mean, usually when they stone you to death and drag you out of the city, that means rejection. <laughs> Did you guys really mean that? <laughs> I know you were kidding. Let me go back and tell you again. <laughs> They went back despite the difficulty and the danger and the possible death that was ahead of them. You see, it was more important to them to see and help new believers grow spiritually than it was for their own comfort and convenience. Wow. A lot of times we're more concerned about our own comfort and convenience than we are about helping someone in spiritual growth. Sometimes we're more concerned about our comfort and convenience. What, what can make it easier for me is like, just slip in and slip out. And oh man, to help and to work. I'm talking about people in other churches, in other states. They are just so wrapped up in their comfort and convenience. Praise God. Aren't you glad you're at New Life? Well, that wasn't too hearty. 
they, they had compassion. Compassion said, you know what, I, I got to go back and help these guys. I got to go back to the people that are kind and the people that are cruel. I got to go back and reach the down and outers and you know what, we'll reach the up and outers also. Just like the leaders that were there. We're going to go back to people that seemed like they had it all together and those that seemed like they had it a mess. We're going to go back the same way we came. And you see, friends, without Jesus, all of us are broken people. Without Jesus, all of us are hurting. All of us are struggling. All of us are trying to figure out this thing called life. All of us battle sin. There's not one here that's sinless. Jesus Christ, the only sinless one. And in Jesus, He makes us sinless. Amen? Amen. But in practice, boy, we sure wish we could practice it. Every one of us are broken people. But because of Jesus, you and I who have been saved, you and I who have been delivered from the grip and bondage of sin, you and I who have been freed from a Savior that loves you and graciously did it, you and I have an obligation as well as a blessing to join Jesus Christ in reaching people. It's an obligation. That's why Jesus said, come, be followers. Come, follow me. Come alongside me. Come, let me work through you. Come, let me use you to get the gospel out. You know, when I look at this text, I realize that Paul and Barnabas, they knew what they just left, but they said, you know what? Jesus would go back to those people and help them. And they turned around and went right back the way they came. As a matter of fact, they went back, verse 22 said, the reason they went back was the strengthening the souls of the disciples. Strengthening. To help a believer grow strong in their faith. And literally, it's, I find it interesting, he said, to strengthen the souls. Sometimes the weakest part of us is not our body. It sure feels weak sometimes. But when your soul's tired, when you're tired inside, I mean deep inside, that's when you're tired. I tell you, I could do physical construction all day long and be tired, I'm physically tired. And I love it, personally. I love to get out there. I love to work my hands. I love to be physically tired like that. But man, when you're emotionally tired, when you're tired inside, when your soul's saying, man, I'm tired. I know i got to get off of this. Some of you are fluffing your pillow out there. Yeah, That's when you're tired. Inside. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Why? Because the soul that animates this flesh is tired. That's why he says, be not weary in well-doing. You know, I learned three things about this word strengthen. One, we can become weak. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, do not be surprised if you are weak. You will become weak. But also, I learned that we can become stronger. And I also learned that God uses people to help us become stronger. It's not something we do on our own. Matter of fact, I had this word up because I know you're like, Oh, come on, what's the word mean? Okay. Epistarizo. Epistarizo. Sterizo, you probably think of sterizo. You probably see the word steroid in there, right? Strength. 
It literally means to turn with resolute. It means to, to set yourself determined in a direction. But the interesting part is epi, which means upon, um, we call this our epidermis, right? This is, it's always good to have your skin on the outside, isn't it? We're like, oh, what happened to my skin? Oh, Tim. You know, when you're in junior high, we used to run around. I did. Ah, your epidermis is showing. That's what you have to do when you're the class clown. You had to come up with these things. Epi means above, upon, on top. The idea is to make stronger by building layers. If you're in construction, you may use three-ply plywood, three plies of plywood for a certain little thing, because it's not very strong. But if you want it stronger, use five-ply. You're sitting on five-ply, three-quarter-inch plywood right now. Strong. You see these beams? It's not one piece of wood. They're actually laminated beams. It's one piece on another piece. On another. If you only had one piece, it wouldn't hold that roof up. But it's one piece on another piece on another piece. Laminated. Makes it stronger. While Andy's coming up here, I want to illustrate this point. Come on, Andy. This is Andy the Conqueror. You could do it. Spit your chew out and just come on up. Just, just kidding. Just kidding. He doesn't have any... All right, now, if I were to pull out hey, one layer, <laughs> it's two-ply, because we all insist on two-ply, amen? There's two plies, two layers. It's strong for what you need it for. Just saying. However... This is not quite a gallon, but we do know a gallon weighs eight pounds. And I'd say, all right, Andy, your ministry is simply to pick up this jug of water. Go for it. Not like that, you <laughs> He's using wisdom now. He can't know wisdom. No matter what he does, there's not enough there. One, that one layer is not strong enough to do the job of ministry, put your hands all like this. However, if I were, uh, let's go this way. I'm right-handed. If I were to give him a one layer upon another layer, and this will work. I tried it last night at home with my wife. Oh, I broke it. I got a big old pile of this stuff sitting on that countertop. All right, whatever it is. Let's, that's probably enough. And now we got multiple layers here, and I'd say, can you hold this? For illustration purposes. <laughs> Dwight had no problem this morning. She has better balance. He. He. Can you hold this? Yes, he can hold it. Why? I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. No, we're not done, we're not done. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. All right. It does work. Try it at home. But you get the idea. One layer is not enough. But then there's another layer. You see, when it comes to believers, our role to help strengthen them and they strengthen us is they lay another layer of truth on us. They speak truth into our life. They share scripture with us. They, they give affirmation, man, you can do this. You know, God's working. And, and that strengthens us and helps us. Every time someone puts another layer on you, you get stronger. 
Every time you say, I don't need that, we get weaker. We're like that, just a single ply. But the thing is, while it takes many layers to strengthen us, the devil's grip also layers upon us. Put your hands together like this out front. If I were to just wrap single, let's let's see if you can break it. Can you break it? Oh, you are stronger than I thought. Actually, you didn't break it. You just let it go. Anyways, one one strand of thread, he could break it. But you know what? The devil puts many strands around us. And he'll tell us a lie that God doesn't care about you. God, God's disappointed with you today. Man, God's been upset with you. Do you really think he wants to hear your voice again? And he puts one layer after another layer of discouragement on us. And another lie we listen to. And another one we put up with. And before you know it, we start dropping out of ministry and then out of church. Then we don't want to talk to anyone. We think everyone's a spiritual police. You know how it goes. And before you know it, the devil's grip gets tighter and tighter and tighter on us. Now, if I were to say, Andy, can you break this string? Don't break it for illustration purposes. Because I know these guns, man. They're 50 calibers. But it's probably more difficult, isn't it? Can you? Okay. Can I? I don't know. I'm just wondering. Do you want me to? No, don't do it. (laughs) Now, I did this with my wife. She goes, it hurts. I said, see? It hurts when we listen to the devil's lies. It's all in there. The only way to... This is really falling apart here. The only way to break the lies of Satan is with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hold your hand out. (laughs) He was like... No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. Or the scissors of the spirit, which is uh, give it up for Andy. Did a good job. Thank you. Have <laughs> a drink after that. Hmm. It worked flawlessly in the first service. Anyway, you know he played Babe Ruth in the movie Babe. Look it up. He did when he was a little kid. Look it up. I turned it on one day and said, there's Andy. That's it. Look it up. Look it up. It's claim to fame. You say, why did I do all that? The reason is because I want you to remember it here. I want you to see it, not just hear it. That it's layer upon layer that strengthens us, that helps us. And you have to avail yourself to that growth. You have to avail yourself to let people put layers on you of encouragement, of truth, and speak into your life. And sometimes it might hurt a little. But sometimes you say, you know, I need to grow spiritually. We also need to realize that's how the devil rolls. He tells us one lie. We've got to say, wait a minute. The Word of God says, thus saith the Lord. We break that. But the more we listen to that lie, and then he puts another lie, and then wraps another lie, and another lie. Before you know it, we, we're like, man, I feel like I'm in bondage again. But it's only a bondage on the outside and, and the head saying we're in bondage. This Word of God says we are not in bondage any longer. Amen? Or ever will be. We need to break the devil's lies by saying, wait a minute. I know the Word of God. And thus saith the Lord. Paul went to strengthen them. And Paul went to exhort them. And I just close quickly with this word because I know you're like, tell us. What does exhort mean? Exhort. Parakaleo. Parakaleo means to call to one side in order to encourage or comfort or console or to teach. 
is to call to one side. This morning, I had Travis Ridge. I love that guy. When he's an usher, he comes up and goes, I'm an usher today. Hey, Travis. I call him up. I said, come here a minute, Travis. Put my arm around him. I said, I love you, buddy. He goes, I know. And I said, they love you out there. And everyone went. And Travis goes. <laughs> and, you know, he, he walked off here. He's, he, he, I saw him afterwards. He's like, and then he sees Glenn. He goes, Tim, 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 Glenn's here, Glenn's here, Glenn's here. He's so excited to see Glenn here, who has been very ill lately. It's good to see Glenn here, amen? <laughs> We're praying for him, amen. But he was, that's right, that's right. But then Travis come up and he started encouraging me about seeing someone else because he was encouraged. And this is the idea of exhort, to call alongside and we need others to summon us. And when, there's two parts to it. The one that's calling and the one that responds. And when someone calls you along, say, come here a minute, let me pray for you. Don't go, nah, I don't need that. Say, yeah, all right. Or just go over and say, hey, I love you, man. I'm here for you. Encourage you. Now, not all encouragement is the best encouragement, is it? Sometimes they encourage you to do things. You're like, oh, my goodness. Here's a closing slide. Here's... Non encouragement. <laughs> Just speed up a bit. You got this. <laughs> this is how, and this is why men die earlier than women. Because <laughs> we would look at this and say, I got this. Oh. <laughs> the woman would say, Are you kidding me? <laughs> we got to be careful where and what we're listening to, is the point. We gotta be careful of some will give wrong encouragement. I've heard people say, well, just forget it. Just, you know, if the church is a bunch of hypocrites anyways, I wouldn't go there. Hey, we're, we are a place for hypocrites. Amen? We all got our problems. The only thing that's ever gonna change us is the Word of God. Right? So we gotta come and say, Lord, work in my heart. Don't take bad encouragement. Take the encouragement that moves you to the Lord. Not away from the Lord. Take the strength that puts another wrap of truth around you. Said you could do this in Jesus' name. And believe it. And live it. And embrace it. That's what they did. That's, that's all they did. We're not told any new believers. I'm sure more people got saved. But the Lord says on their return trip. You know what they did? They strengthened those new believers. And you know what they did? They exhorted those new believers. Said you, you got this. You could do this. And then they organized them put elders, leadership. They helped pull them together, gave them some leadership, and I said, we'll be back. And they will. There'll be another journey. They'll go through that area. But where are you at today? This morning, or just before the service, Ron had come up to me with a word from the Lord that someone's here today and they, their heart's aching, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually also. And maybe that's your heart today. And God's saying, this is a day of decision. This is a day to respond. Listen, if God shares His Word and gives a word like that, and that's your heart, that's because He wants to do a work in you. He wants to help you. So let us strengthen, let us edify, let us encourage you today. Let's stand together as Gabe comes. My beloved friend Gabe, which I feel real bad. That was, I'm sorry. Do you love me? Come on. All right, guys. I love you. I should have to take that.
I do love it. Josh is going to come close us. If you're on a ministry team, you come. You come. As Josh is... Give us a word as God shares. All right. Well, we're excited to be moved down here finally. Um, so it's good. It's been a process, a lot of moving trucks in our vans and, and trailers, but we're here and um, we're really excited about it. And um, when he was talking, it reminded me um, our, as a ministry, um, our my heart when I first went out um, to travel around the world is I just start. I just felt such a burden for the lost that I couldn't just stay. Um, stay. I had to go, and um, and I went. I went a little bit of everywhere around the world. But I remember um, one of the very first meetings that I had the opportunity to go to, um, and um, we we were in a, um, an Amish community in Ohio, and we saw we saw a, a, a bunch of kids, and most of them had grown up in the church, and um, a lot of them were. Um, had been in church all their life, but had never really met Jesus. And um, I realized at that point that that it was important that um, they they if you would ask them they believed in Jesus they believed. But um, if you really began to talk with them, there was a there was great emptiness and great um, they they were lost. They needed an encounter with Jesus. And um, I remember that that event. Um, we saw so many kids give their lives to Jesus, and um, but I remember there was about six of them that came with me um, from that event, and we started traveling around the world and um, had all sorts of experiences. One of them um, had, um, was a pretty bad alcoholic at the time, and God had um, God had delivered him on the spot. And he came with us and, um, and was, became one of my best friends. He would go before, for our ministry, um, after about six months, he was going about uh, two or three weeks ahead of us, um, just praying, um, for a week at a time and gathering people together just for, the, believing for the presence of God to move. But, um, you began to see these, these kids and they were, they were becoming, they were becoming not just um, just hearers of the word, but doers, and and they began to respond, and um, that you could see the call on their life was great. It reminds me of a kid that we met in Baltimore, and um, he had gotten shot in the arm, and um, just the day before in a gang violence, and I and I and I pulled him aside as we were entering into the mall, and I said, "Man, God's call is on your life, and He loves you." I dare you to believe in when you feel farthest from God in that moment, where you feel empty, where you feel like you're abandoned, like that moment, God radically loved you and, um, and he died for you. And um, I just began to speak to him. And, and, you know, oftentimes I get this response. Do you really believe that God can use my life? And probably more so with the people in the church because sometimes we feel like we've known better. We once were close to God. We once knew um, that, that we felt the call in our life that we were going to do great things for God. And we know it's, it's our heart is beating for it. And we've, called, we've been called to be a, a follower and we've chose to follow. But then there's been something that's kind of pulled us back. Something that there's lies that have been spoke over our life and it keeps wrapping around us and around us. And you're like, man, I don't know how to even break free. I've tried. I've come to the altar. I've come and I've prayed prayers. I've fasted. I've done everything that I know how to do. And I feel stuck, man. I can't get free. I don't know how. 
And it's like we've almost believed more in the lie of the enemy than the voice of God. And the voice of God, man, He is so amazing. And as we draw near to Him, the Bible says in our weakness, He'll take the things that we're the weakest at and He'll bring strength to it. And He'll come as we depend upon Him and say, God, I can't overcome this lust. God, I can't overcome these lies. I can't overcome, Lord, this, this thing that's been spoken and my identity or, or just what, what, what people perceive, my insecurity. I can't overcome that. But God, in my weakness, God, where I can't, Lord, would you help me to be more than an overcomer? And we start to believe the truth of what God says about us. And it's not just for someone else sitting beside. It's right to us. Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. And I believe that this morning that God wants to do something. He wants to walk us into a greater dependency upon Him. And so would you just lift your hands to heaven? And say, God, fill us. Holy Spirit, in all weakness, strengthen us. We can't do it alone. God, we need your power, Lord, to come and invade all weakness. Lord, we need your light to come and, Lord, take the darkness in our life. And, Lord, that we would see for what it really is. And it's something that we don't really want. But, God, we want you. As the Holy Spirit is leading you to come this morning, maybe just to say, God, I'm going to go, I want to go deeper. God, I choose to come all in. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. This would be a good, good morning to do that, to say, God, I'm coming all in. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And so if that's you, I invite you to come because I believe to the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Today, don't heed, don't hold back, but draw near to the voice of God. He loves you. And I dare you to believe that this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to revive calls of God on, on people's lives, especially those who once felt so close to God. Believe that they were going to take the world on and say, I'm going deeper. Jesus, I'm going deeper. And then there's been a lie that's been spoken over you from the enemy that's just tried to, um, to expose your weakness and just exploit the, the failures in your life. And God wants to come in. Holy Spirit wants to invade that. He wants to turn what the enemy meant to destroy you. Actually, develop into a ministry that you actually begin to help even in the midst of your weakness god wants to strengthen you so holy spirit we open our hearts we open our eyes to you lead us into all truth so the holy spirit is leading you and you're saying man i i once was so close to god but i feel i feel like i there's been a disconnect There's been maybe a lie that's been holding me back. My heart's been broken. I just feel weak. I feel weary. And I just, I just need empowerment of God this morning. I believe that God, you should come this morning. If not now, then when? Now this is, this, the the moment I believe that God wants to do something here this morning and He wants to bring great strength to you. And so I just welcome, I just invite you to come. And Holy Spirit, let's pray one one more time. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would, um, Lord, cause us not only to be discipled by you, but to make disciples. God, I pray, Lord, Lord, in our hearts and our mind, God, that you would show us one person, one person that we would come along the side of, 
And God, that we would um, make it our mission, even this week, to give them a call and say, Hey, how's it going? Hey, I was praying for you, and God wanted me to share this with you. God wants to restore some relationships, and sometimes it's just going and, 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 and um, making a phone call. And I believe God wants to do that through you. He wants to make you fishers of men. So Holy Spirit, we just, we just invite you to just speak to us. Even now, there's a name, there's a person that He's called you to disciple. And it will be the most fulfilling thing you ever do on this side of eternity. Is to walk with somebody and see them fall in love with Jesus. They'll never be the same again. There may be someone even here in this congregation or someone here today that you feel led. And I just encourage you even to pray for them, even beside you. That's, it's, it's just quite fine. But allow the ministry of God to flow out of you. Because the Holy Spirit, He's inside of you. And He comes and He flows out like rivers of living water. Thank you, Jesus. So we invite you to come. We invite you to come. If God, if God is leading, if God is stirring your heart, just um, just wants to refri- refresh, revive something. Amen. Just come as they begin to worship. Yes. Just come, and we yes. just want to pray for you. That's you today. You have a need today. You heard. You come. You come. Take a few minutes. Just give you an opportunity to come for prayer. Let us pray for you. Maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you just need God's healing touch. Remember, God's word is that there's somebody's struggling in the heart, physically, emotionally spiritually let us pray for you You come you come as we're singing Mm. we're not going to take long if you have a need let us pray now we're going to take a couple minutes come 